From the United Nations in Bonn, I am Leonie Beck. And I'm Monja Sovagia. And we are the hosts of Inside UN Bonn, your podcast about the people and stories behind the United Nations in Bonn. Today we have two guests from the UNFCCC Secretariat, the UN entity tasked with supporting the global response to climate change, which is actually headquartered here in Bonn. With the COP26 in Glasgow coming up in just a few months, we're looking forward to hearing how the preparations for the COP are going and what the COP26 might look like in COVID times. First, we're talking to the head of communications of UNFCCC, Alexander Zayer. Hi, Alex. How are you today? Thank you very much. I'm, I'm fine. And thank you very much to be invited for this first podcast series. Uh, I'm very excited. Thanks for joining us. We're happy to have you. So, Alex, can you tell us briefly what the UNFCCC Secretariat actually does? Good question. It's a convention secretariat. So the UN Climate Change, that's how we call ourselves. It's easier than to use an acronym like UNFCCC. Because UNFCCC stands for United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which is bulky, so we reduced it to UN Climate Change because that describes actually what we do. So uh, we are from the UN family, the Convention Secretariat, and we are organizing the multilateral process to combat climate change. This includes parties, so governments, observer groups, and also groups from the civil society because the answer to climate change is in all areas of society, it's not just on the political level. And how would you describe your job at UNFCCC? Oh, my job is easy to describe. I'm uh, leading a team of uh, communication professionals uh, and what we do is we are using uh, the communication toolbox to to inform about climate change, the work we do, it's a bit different to other UN agencies because we don't have the advocacy role that, for example, the United Nations Environment Programme has. Uh, what we do is more we support the, the platform, the political platform to um, allow parties, observers and the civil society to meet to talk, to discuss, to take decisions on the best way in, in fighting climate change. And I was wondering, what is something people seem to misunderstand about the UN Climate Secretariat? Whew. Maybe the, the biggest misunderstanding is that we are not saving the planet. It's not just us, it's not the UN, it's uh, the governments, but it's also all the other members of the society. So it's not just decision-making bodies of a of a sovereign state, it's also the private sector, it's investors, it's cities, uh, it goes down to the individual in the end. So we all have our share here and we all can do something. So it's not us, the UN, the UN is only brings the people together and, and maybe that's uh, to make it clearer. Speaking of this, a very important event is coming up, the COP26, the 26th UN Climate Conference, which will take place in Glasgow. It was initially scheduled to take place last year, but had to be postponed because of the COVID-19 pandemic. What was it like having to reschedule such a huge conference? On the political level, it's um, important that we have it this year because we have lost already one year. Because it politically, it is essential that, that we make progress, that decisions are made, 
because the climate change is not going away. The pandemic uh, had this negative impact on the political process because we couldn't meet in person. So uh, what we have done, uh, we organized virtual meetings. We tried to bring together all the stakeholders in those meetings, not physical meetings, which is another challenge in itself because it's it's very difficult to run diplomatic uh, negotiations uh, virtually because there is so much more than just being in a meeting. Coffee breaks are uh, essential, for example, to to meet more informally, to solve sticky items. So uh, there are many ways of a conference that you cannot transfer to a virtual meeting. So that's that's uh, on the polit- political end. On the organizational side, the same. It's it is a challenge to um, to have many people participating virtually. And Glasgow, the the way we plan for it actually is is a hybrid solution. So in close collaboration with the UK government as the host government, we are planning for a physical event. And this is still the case. It will have a hybrid uh, it will have a hybrid element. So for those who are not able to attend physically or participate physically, we will make um, virtual elements available to those delegates, but also participants from uh, from outside, from the civil society, just to be transparent and to allow them also to engage in the discussions as much as possible and the delegates who are not able to chain, to join to engage in the, uh, in the negotiations because that's key uh, to be able to move a step further and to take decisions on climate change that we all need to be on track for the 1.5 degrees goal of the Paris Agreement. You already mentioned you're planning to do a hybrid version, or at least you hope to. We all hope that the numbers will stay low, I think. But how do you think this COP will be different from the other COPs in the last few years? Yeah, organizationally, we have to follow the the uh, guidelines, the health and safety guidelines from the host uh, country. In this case, it's actually the Scottish government. So they they are in, in charge of uh, health and safety. And then in close collaboration with our colleagues uh, from UNDSS, from our safety department, they will define the space and they will define social distancing, for example. So what's the, what is the distance of two tables, for example, where delegates have to sit? Because normally we have uh, two big plenary halls uh, and in this plenary every government has two seats at the desk and two seats in the advisory role. But this may change, so we may have only two seats per government because of social distancing. So all of this uh, will have an impact uh, with regard to observer participation, for example. We normally have exhibition space. This time, for the first time, it will only be virtual. So there will be no physical exhibition space this time, but only virtual There will be pavilions, but most likely smaller and less. So this all will look different. So it will not be a large meeting as it was in the past. So uh, most likely the the numbers of participants uh, will have a limit. We don't know the number yet, but we expect it to be uh, definitely um, less people coming physically to the event than, than before. 
Well, as you said, it is very important that this happens now since you already lost a year due to COVID-19. What goes through your mind when you see images of natural disasters such as floods or wildfires? Well, w w what it shows all of us is that climate change is a reality. It's not something uh, when we started this work of the convention, COP26, so 26 years before there was the first meeting when everything was more abstract. But climate change is now a reality. Also here at our duty station in Bonn, Germany, we can experience the extreme weather events, for example, as a clear indication that climate change is here. So we, uh, we see that. But what strikes me actually more is <coughs> seeing the solutions. So when I see positive uh, developments, that is for me personally much more important because I'm working in climate change for so long. And for me, it's becoming also a reality that the solutions are now implemented. So um, that is something with the climate change plans all over the world. So every government is working uh, on those to implement actually measurements uh, on the national level. Or when, when you see investment streams that go now in the right direction, so out of fossil fuel into renewables, uh, when you hear announcements of companies that take it seriously uh, and they all fight for a better planet, that touches me more emotionally than, uh, than the negative effects. You already mentioned the role of companies as a driver of climate change. What do you think is needed today from companies around the world? Yeah, I mentioned companies because they are part of the solution and they have to implement what governments uh, put politically in place. So the governments put like the political frame around it and uh, companies or the private sector, uh, they have to fill it with life. So they they uh, have to translate it in, into their uh, strategic plans as well as in their operational plans uh, in their respective uh, Areas so there are there are many areas, from energy um, to transportation, uh, you name it. It's in every sector of industry, change and transformation is needed, and um, this is what what is what is needed is the transformation to happen sooner than planned. So climate action plans need to be more ambitious, on the government level, but also on the private sector level. Because we have seen uh, there is not much time left to make an impact, actually, uh, to reach the 1.5 degree goal. Also, companies uh, have to step up, do more, be more active and come up with even more ambitious plans. Yeah, this is actually something that children and students around the world are demanding during climate protests. The most famous example being the Fighters for Future movement. If you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell him? I would tell him, go work on a topic that makes the difference. Why not climate change? Because uh, that's what's needed. Uh, I can tell you when I was uh, starting this work, I was talking to my parents and told them uh, that I'm working now on climate change and, and they had no clue. That's almost 25 years ago. Um, and I had to explain why it is important that we look at this topic now. So that was 25 years ago. In the meantime, my parents understood why it, why it is important. So I would maybe change a little bit and would say I would speak to the 18-year-old people now, please 
continue your work. It's it's great that you have this consciousness of the environment that it is needed that we all work on on climate change. And yes, uh, you can vote. Just uh, I would tell them to put the vote in the right uh, ballot and, and that will have an impact. When I thought of your job, I thought, ah, it can probably be also sometimes frustrating because it seems that many global leaders either do not care about the climate or they totally underestimate what it means, what kind of consequences we will face when we do not stay below two degrees of Celsius of global warming. And I was wondering, how do you stay optimistic? You already said the things that have been implemented have been important for you. But yeah, I was wondering, how do you stay optimistic and motivated in your job? Uh, yes, looking back uh, to to my career, it was an up and down in, in climate change negotiations. You know, we had successes like in Paris. Uh, we had uh, terrible moments like in Copenhagen a few years before. Uh, so it was always a, an up and down. So uh, I can tell you, it's it, just talking also for my colleagues in, in, in climate change secretariat, you come back from these conferences and you are depressed. It's Uh, you go <laughs> through quite some hard time. But of course, when you work on such an important matter, you are motivated. It's coming from, not from the outside, but also in particular from, from the inside. And uh, you can feel that in, in our organization that most of our colleagues, they are doing this job for a reason. And they are motivated because they think it is important that, that we do this work. Also in case in, in, in or at moments when it is really difficult. But then there is always, uh, there is some light at the end of the tunnel and then you focus on that and it's getting brighter and brighter. And then sometimes you have moments like Paris. And I hope that Glasgow will be a similar moment of bright light. Was this your initial motivation to join the UN? I was interested in climate change and then I've learned that Bonn was, was hosting a climate change conference and I got the opportunity to, to work uh, in that team. And that was actually the, the starting point and I understood then also the importance of the work of the UN in this area and I got hooked immediately because uh, it brought together... Um, basically together um, many things that I was interested in. To have the UN in Bonn was new to me. The climate change topic uh, to be discussed on that international level uh, was also not clear to me at that, uh, at that time. But all in all, um, it, it turned out to be uh, my dream job and I'm still here for a good reason. That's very nice to hear. <laughs> We created this podcast series in light of UN Bonn's 25th anniversary, and we know that change at a local level is very important. So we were wondering, what kind of cooperation with the city of Bonn have you facilitated? Well, we, we spoke about COP26 in Glasgow, so 26 years of, of climate change. So now the UN in Bonn is, is 25 years old, so that's, that's also an interesting number. And we, we are glad to be here. Uh, it's, uh, bonn is a, is a great host. Uh, we have lovely buildings here, uh, even climate change will get a new building. And we are working anyway closely with the city of Bonn and with uh, the government of Germany, the ministries, also with the federal state, uh, North Rhine-Westphalia. So we are closely linked and with the city, since, since you asked, uh, we have actually um, close ties now, particularly on the, also on the cultural level. 
the Beethoven Orchestra, which is the, the famous orchestra here in, in Bonn, its uh, worldwide well-known orchestra, is our first uh, UN climate change ambassador. So the orchestra will help us in, in making our work more known and uh, getting people interested in, in climate change also in countries maybe that are not so familiar with climate change. So uh, they will act as, as our ambassador and we are very proud to have them on board. And then we are also working currently on a strategic partnership with the city of Bonn that all UN-based agencies here uh, are working more closely with the opera, with the theater to... Um, Yeah, basically to bring the topics that, that we are in the UN dealing with here in Bonn also um, in areas that uh, the Bonners, so the, the citizens of, uh, of Bonn, uh, see what we are doing. And so uh, with the help of the theater and opera uh, to work more closely and, and to discuss topics also and to, uh, yeah, to be part of this city and uh, that we enjoy to live in. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like very creative um, solutions for combating climate change. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we know you're very busy with the preparations of the COP26 and we wish you all the best of luck for the further preparations. And yeah, again, thank you. Oh, thank you very much for the invite. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Our second guest today is Ola Niels, an Associate Network Officer with the ICT Department of UN Climate Change. Hello, Ola. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. We just heard from Alex about the general preparation for the COP. And since this year's COP will be followed digitally by even more people than previous COPs, we are curious to hear how the setting up of the IT infrastructure is going on. Can you share with us how your department is preparing for the COP in Glasgow? Yes, of course. We are doing a so-called hybrid event. It will, that's the biggest planning we're doing right now meaning that anyone who is on site, of course, will have the same IT services that they have always been having. But we also make sure that anyone who cannot travel to Glasgow will be able to participate in the conference as they are on site. Of course, this is very important since this will be the most important climate change conference ever. So to make all this happen, staff members from the UN Climate Change Secretariat in Bonn work together with contractors on location in Glasgow. How many people does it take to get the conference IT ready? It's a very good question. We will have about 100 to 150 people. Uh, and we are working, like you said, together with contractors. But of course, the most important person is the government of United Kingdom, who is nice enough to host this conference for us. All right. And... In total, how many people are involved in the preparation for the COP this year? I cannot answer that, if I should be honest, because, of course, every other department has so many people involved. So we have UN security coming from New York. They're working very closely with the uh, local police forces. You have translators coming from Geneva. You have the production services of all the documents, who is only doing that during the conference. We have banking services. We have medical services so you have all services you want not to talk about all the food court services also <laughs> <laughs> but you have about twenty thousand people coming to one venue so you can imagine the size it's a small city who is built up to support all these people transportation services of course is also one part who is very huge i mean you need to transport twenty thousand people every morning every evening to different locations, different hotels. It is 
so much going on behind the scene. It's it's amazing if people knew the full story. And um, of course, this doesn't happen overnight. How long does it take to prepare a cup? It takes about uh, one and a half years. To st we start one and a half years before. And of course, now we are really in the crunch time mm -hmm. uh, where everything has to be implemented. But discussion has been going on for the last one and a half years. All right. So for the one and a half years, you work from here, from Bonn. But later, you're going to the UK, in this case, to prepare, right? Correct. The conference will start um, in the begin beginning of November. And we will be, of course, on site beginning or end of uh, September. Oh, wow, that's very early. What will you do this, this time in advance? What we are doing is, of course, we're testing, we're preparing, and we're setting up everything in uh, so it, everything will work when the delegates are arriving on site, delegates and observers. And even then, you often have to deal with uh, things last-minute issue. What are some of the challenges you might face on the IT side, and how do you deal with these issues? The, it's, of course, IT is... Once you have implemented something, you think everything will work, but the only time you know it's working is when everyone is coming on board and start using the system. How we deal with that? We are just prepared, and since we have done this so many times, we also know the traps, what could go wrong. So we are prepared. The first day, it's going to be all hands on deck, like we call it. Everyone works as long as needed, and we will make sure that everything is going to work finally. Right. And of course, connectivity issues abroad are out of your hands. So what are some of the ways to ensure that all the delegates around the world will be able to connect virtually? We have a team in conference affairs who are working very close with the government to find out what could be locations that could be used. So if you cannot travel to Glasgow, perhaps you can travel if you are based in Africa. Our conference affairs colleagues are setting up small hotels where sufficient internet connectivity, support, etc., etc., are available. Interesting. Well, I have to say that all of this sounds quite stressful. How do you deal with the pressure? And specifically during the COP, how do you manage having to work long hours to make sure that everything is working just as it should? I have done many COPs. The team, I would say, that ICT is having has done many, many COPs. So we are used, so to say, to this stressful uh, stressfulness. But it's very important you sleep, you eat, and you relax when you can. At the same time, we are having a saying in our team that if we, we look after each other, if we see someone is on the verge to break down, we will tell the person, perhaps you should take a break, and our supervisor is very good at that to make sure that we are getting the rest we need. This summer, the IPCC report was released, which has been called a wake-up call for the world. It clearly demonstrates that humans have an influence on climate change and that climate change is already affecting all regions across the globe. Does this put even more pressure on the upcoming COP26 in Glasgow? And does it have an impact on the preparations for the COP? No, we prepare every conference as it was, will be the most important conference. But I do agree, after the IPCC report, I think this is the most important conference we ever hosted. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, Ola, and we wish you all the best for the further preparations of this hugely important climate change conference in November. You're more than welcome, and uh, we see you hopefully in Glasgow. Thank you for listening to Inside UN Bonn. 
The music is by Tim Moore and the design and visualizations of the podcast were done by me, Monja Sauvager. Thank you to the German Ministry of Foreign Affairs for their generous financial support in making this podcast happen. We will be back soon with more human stories from the people behind Jörn Bonn. To find out more about Jörn Bonn's 25th anniversary and the stories behind Jörn Bonn, please visit www.unbonn.org. On Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, we are at Jörn Bonn. Please take the time to review us because it does make a difference. Until next time.